Here we are, Monday. Welcome. Another week of Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good weekend. Summer's dwindling away. A lot of the schools are open back up. UNL began their first week online today, but I was driving around campus over the weekend. It was packed. People were driving around. Look good. Great to have the kids back in Lincoln. All right, here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. Husker football has picked up a commitment, lost a commitment. It's going to be, I think, kind of crazy in the recruiting world in the coming months. Greg Smith from Hale Varsity going to join us to give us the latest on that here in a couple of minutes. Hour number two, Jeremiah Searles will stop by. We'll get his take on some of the topsy-turvy news of the last couple of days involving Big Ten football and the decision-making process and how that affects everything moving forward. It'll be interesting to get Jeremiah's take on that. Also in hour number two, Scott Docterman of The Athletic will be here. He's been following the Iowa parents, who were the first parent group in the Big Ten conference to organize put together a letter, hand deliver it to the Big Ten office, asking for some details for their decision to cancel the college football season. We'll get Scott's take on what's going on in Iowa City and uh, that movement uh, that did include a couple of doctors, a couple of doctors whose son plays on the Hawkeye team. They were the ones that kind of took the lead on uh, on that plan. So we'll hear from Scott coming up in the second hour. Third hour, Ben, will take us back to the weekend, our weekend rewind. A lot of Major League Baseball. Uh, not a lot of NBA because there's just one game over the weekend with the playoffs starting today, but there'll be some things we can jump into on that. We'll also have our weekend winners uh, coming up in hour number three as well. Phone lines, they are always there. They are always available to you at 531-500-4686. That's 531-500-4686. That also doubles as our U.S. Cellular text line. Uh, U.S. Cellular, the official wireless provider of Husker Athletics at 531-500-4686. If you want to shoot us off a text, if you don't want to pick up the phone and call and talk to us the old-fashioned way, you can do it that way as well. Let's start, Ben, with some of the activities over the weekend. And I'm going to kind of start with what happened today. And that was more acknowledgement from people in the Big Ten that there really wasn't a vote taken on this thing. Sandy Barber, the athletic director at Penn State, had a Zoom call today and just said, uh, well, it's unclear whether there was ever a vote or not. This kind of co- this kind of goes along with Minnesota President Joan Gable, who said basically we didn't vote. We just deliber- had a deliberative process and where we came to a decision. Um, this keeps the spotlight, the fire, Ben, on Commissioner Kevin Warren, who was evasive when he was asked by Dave Revson of BTN last week about was this a unanimous decision and he would not give an affirmative or, or an, a non-affirmative answer. I will say this. Sandy Barber is the AD, like Bill Moose here at Nebraska. The ADs, it's not their call. It is the president slash chancellor's call. Uh, but Ted Carter was on our Lincoln affiliate, KLIN, on Friday, and he indicated that there was a vote taken. So I, it, there's so much up in the air, and it continues to make the Big Ten, quite frankly, look pretty bad. Yeah, and the worst part about it is we haven't heard anything from the league office. I mean, they could eliminate all of this with a simple statement, you know, um, you know, put together some type of video statement or something to just kind of address all these burning questions that that everybody has it's one thing Greg if it's just a Nebraska issue if it's just one school and and whether it's the correct opinion or not is being insubordinate or speaking out when they perhaps shouldn't that's one thing but when you have multiple schools and, and multiple schools of the caliber of the ones that are speaking out that's when it's becoming clearly a divisive issue and and the big problem with people that have been in the Big 10 for a long time is that was kind of their one their one source of of character was their their unity and how they're always together and you know 
stand as one and all those cliches, that's kind of erased with this issue. When you see um, some big time powers that you know, you take you just even take Nebraska out of the situation. When you when you're talking about Penn State, Ohio State, and Iowa and Michigan and, and some of these other programs that are are voicing their displeasure, it, it becomes an issue, and and that's where you're starting to see the tone of those national writers turn from venom at Nebraska to we have a bigger issue going on. And, and the big problem is there, there's no transparency with the league office with what's happening and how they reach their decision. Again, this could all have been eliminated if they would have just, I mean, even, even still like anytime we're, 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 we're welcome to a statement or clarification at any time. It's already past due, but even if it came out tomorrow, I think we could all sleep a little easier knowing how they arrived at their decision instead of having petitions by Justin Fields going around, letters from multiple schools' parents that, you know, from, the, from what's been released and reported, Greg, I, I, I don't know that there's been a, a statement from parents that have had less than 80 signatures on it. So you're talking about the majority of these football teams. It's not just a few parents disgruntled parents from here and there it's it's we're talking about a lot of parents here and 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 the majority of the members of the team and so whereas this supposedly began as just a Nebraska issue has turned into a multiple school issue but now you're dealing with petitions that have hundreds of thousands of signatures on it and again putting even more pressure on the league office for clarification I think we're all in agreement that the likelihood of them changing their decision is pretty small. That, that, that based on all the information that you get when you read articles and um, you know hear from experts, the the idea that that they change their their course now doesn't seem likely, but at least eliminate some of the thoughts in people's minds as to how you arrived at this decision and why you made the decision that you did. They had a chance of doing it right away with the Dave Revson interview. But they didn't accomplish any of that. And it's been crickets from the league office, specifically the commissioner who's taken the biggest amount of criticism in the last week uh, to do that. So it was definitely an interesting day and an interesting weekend on that front. Adam Rittenberg, ESPN.com, who we have on during the college football season, tweeted this over the weekend. A Big Ten administrator has told me our league is seriously divided and all of it is playing out publicly. You mentioned the Justin Fields petition that he put out yesterday, we want to play, and it had, within a couple of hours, over 100,000 signatures. I kind of wish that would have just been college football players, not just fans and everybody else who jumped on board. I wish he would have limited it to that. I think it might would have had maybe more impact if he had done that. Uh, you also mentioned the players' parents, and Nebraska's parents jumped on board over the weekend. I believe Glenn Snodgrass, who is Garrett's dad, Head football coach at York High was kind of the ringleader of this thing. He helped to kind of organize this along with Gene Benhart, who's Bryce's dad. Bryce is the offensive lineman. They kind of, I think, grabbed the bull by the horns of this thing and put together a letter, got over 80 Husker parents to sign on to this thing. It's going to be hand-delivered to the league office. Iowa's was delivered on Friday. Similar letters from Ohio State, from Penn State. I believe there's now one coming from Michigan to go to the league office. Well, these players want answers. They want some they want to be told, why did you make this decision when you made this decision? And then on the medical side of things, this was really odd over the weekend. A cardiologist at the University of Michigan 
uh, came out and said he, based on the medical information he was told the Big Ten was using to make this decision, he goes, they are they are using a flawed study. It was a study done by a, a doctor in Great Britain. He then came out and says, I don't know what the Big Ten is, but they're not getting they're not analyzing this information right. So here's a cardiologist at the University of Michigan, one of the more prestigious medical schools in the country, going, I don't think they got this right. And so that got added into the mix of the weekend with even medical people. And that goes back to something you and I talked about last week. You keep getting so many differing opinions. One medical expert says this is good. Another one says it's not. This one says this will work. This one says it won't work. It's so confusing to get all of that. Um, and, and I saw I was looking at Glenn Snodgrass's uh, timeline on Twitter, Ben, and he just said he talked to Garrett and Garrett's like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do now. I don't know what to do. All I've done every fall is play football. Now I don't know what to do. I mean, I did, my heart goes out to these players. They are swimming right now in a cloud, and they don't know which direction to go. I know, and that's the frustrating thing. And, that, and that's where I, I tip my cap to Justin Fields. I mean, he theoretically, Greg, he should be the last one that's organizing this and putting something like this together within the league. I mean, uh, between he and Micah Parsons, who had already declared for the draft, those two are the most valuable players – in terms of an NFL career that this league has to offer. And you've got one of them making the, the decision to forego his senior or season and enter his name into the draft, which, which is unsurprising. But then you have another player who doesn't have a ton to gain other than just playing another year of college football and trying to win a national championship, basically leading this thing. And that's, that's where it's admirable. It'd be so easy for him to turn his focus to the draft here in the you know next year and and you know just prepare himself for the millions of dollars that he's about to make and instead you have him kind of leading the charge with the players which is admirable and yeah that I mean that's back to your point about the cardiologist this just feeds into the idea of the confusion that we're all living by right now whether you're in the in the Big Ten country SEC country Pac-12 Texas doesn't matter we're all getting such differing opinions and information that it makes this situation hard to understand and frustrating if you're on the other side of it. I mean, if, if you're in the SEC right now and you're wanting to play football, you're fine with what your medical professionals are telling you. But if you're in the Big Ten and you want to play football, you're frustrated by what the medical professionals are telling you. And I think that's where a lot of people are throwing their hands up going, uh, excuse me, we need more explanation about this because you know, it's okay for certain teams to play, but not others. And, and now we're hearing that what your information is based off of is, is false. It isn't necessarily accurate. That's, that's where the answers want to come in and people want to go raise their hand and and have their answer, their question answered. And it, it makes a lot of sense, but I think for us sitting here right now doing this talk show as we've done the last few weeks and I've gotten the question a bunch. I know you've gotten the question a bunch. Got it a couple times even this weekend. What is it that the Big Ten saw that changed course, you know, from from the release of the schedule to now? And what information are they hearing? And why is it fair for them to pull that plug where they're at and speak for us here at Nebraska when things are different and we're doing things the way that we're supposed to be doing them? Again, I don't know that we ever get answers to those questions based on what we have not heard from the league office the last few days, but that's where everybody's frustrated aligned is because you have experts, professionals, people that are studying this virus every single day. They can't even agree on whether it's safe or not. And that's the frustration that is setting with a lot of people. 
I, I do think we will hear something from the league in the coming days. I, I don't think they can just bury their head in the sand. I, I don't think that's – that's people aren't going to accept that. They want something from the league office, some transparency. We saw some of that from the Pac-12 last week when they released some of the medical data that they were analyzing for that. Big Ten just cannot just – stick their head in the sand like an ostrich and act like nothing's going on when you have all these parents that are asking for answers, student-athletes that are asking for answers. One of the things that Kevin Warren said when he got the commissioner, he was going to be very concerned about the mental health of his student-athletes. Well, right now that's being tested because uh, the mental health is not real good for a lot of these guys. In fact, I saw uh, a tweet from Larry Widman, who has done some work with the athletic department in the past. He's a psychologist. He said, like most, I'm not privy to the medical information that led to this decision. From my area of expertise, I've never seen this level of mental and psychological distress before in high school and college student-athletes. It's real, and I'm not sure the powers fully understand this. That's a point worth taking. Before we head to the break, uh, recruiting news. Huskers lose one, gain one. Keep the class at 14 over the weekend. The linebacker Will Schweitzer from California decommits from Nebraska, and that was quickly followed up by a commitment from a wide receiver, Ben, from Naples, Florida, and Camonte Grimes. Uh, looks like a pretty good get if they can keep Grimes in the fold until the signing period in December. He's a guy that had a lot of high major offers in this thing. You hate losing Schweitzer because you still need to add some depth to that linebacker spot, but this is a good get, it looks to me anyway, on Grimes. Yeah, and it's one that I didn't necessarily expect to get. I mean, you looked at his final final grouping of schools, and of course Nebraska was in there along with Miami and, and some other heavy hitters. Uh, a lot of the experts predicted him to be a Michigan Wolverine, and, and I think that um, is a great get for Nebraska. Number one, you steal him away from another Big Ten school, but again, for the same reasons as we've seen in some other players, Greg, specifically at the wide receiver position, that size – is attractive you know right now I mean I'm so used to looking at you know ratings and offers and uh you know geography the first thing I'm looking at now with wide receivers are size and and at six foot three 200 pounds he certainly fits the mold and now we're starting to go from year after year of getting recruits of under six foot to now that we're starting to stack on Greg year after year of receivers that are over six foot and I think that they're addressing that need immediately and often and filling the room up with players that can do both play outside but also get guys that can be burners and play inside Camonte Grimes hopefully at six foot three 200 pounds can come in and be another physical force uh, alongside Omar Manning alongside Xavier Betts alongside some of the other commitments in this class and go be a physical outside receiver and that's where you get guys that uh, can really shine in that slot position that duck R position like a Wandale and hopefully like guys like Demarion Houston and Marcus Fleming and some of these younger players, Elante Brown, that's that's when they can really shine is when you have guys that are playing their correct position, whereas last year you're looking out there at the three receivers on the field and not one of them could get into the ride at the carnival. You know, they're, they're all <laughs> under that, that six-foot mark and makes it pretty easy to defend when you're, they're playing out of position. So I think, um, you know, getting another body and number, number one and number two, taking them away from some prestigious schools – while still tapping into that Florida market is absolutely huge. And I think it's going to make some of those other Florida guys that are on the team right now feel a little more at ease knowing that they're going to bring more guys in from their state, whether they know when they're playing or not. They get more guys from the Sunshine State in Florida to, to head up to Nebraska. So it was really disappointing to hear on Schweitzer about his little secret visit to South Bend and then all of a sudden flipping his commitment to Notre Dame. 
uh, from decommitting to Nebraska to committing to Notre Dame in a span of six hours and then finding out about his little trip to South Bend. That was really disappointing to hear. Uh, but this made it a lot better knowing that you're going to get some more help in the receiver room. Three wide receivers now in the class. Sean Hardy at 6'3", Latrell Neville, 6'4", Grimes, 6'3". So, yeah, it's just that room is going to look so different in 12 months from what it did 12 months ago. In mm-hmm. 24 months' time, it is going to go from little bitty guys and not much depth to maybe quite a bit of depth and all kinds of size wide receivers in that room. I That room has got me excited about the future for Husker football. All right, full boat. That's a lot to get into in our first segment of the program. Again, 531-500-4686, the number if you want to dial us up with a comment or question. When we come back, Ben will talk with Greg Smith from Hale Varsity, talk more about the recruiting game and how maybe this shutdown of Big Ten football is going to affect that moving forward. We'll get into that next. Just off and rolling on a Sports Nightly Monday. Hopefully everybody had a great weekend. Expected some movement with recruiting eventually. Maybe not sure that it would happen as soon as this weekend, but yet here we are and help us make sense of the movement in the Husker recruiting front. Our good friend Greg Smith from Hale Varsity. Greg, first of all, thanks for joining us, man. Let's start first with um, how you're holding up with the with the reaction of, of the Big Ten and, and now expecting how that's going to bleed into what's going to be a, a very hectic challenge for you and try and cover uh, recruiting, the recruiting landscape in this league for the next couple of months. Yeah, boy, it, it's been something. Uh, thanks for having me, by the way. Um, it, it's been really interesting so far. Um, just seeing all the fallout of the reaction, and, and like we, we kind of said throughout this entire kind of process with quarantine and the dead period and all of that, it, there continue to be more questions than answers, it feels like, at every turn. So right now, you know, recruiting kind of took a back burner, like right when the Big Ten kind of made their announcement, and kind of rightfully so, uh, just because of how big it was big a deal it was they they went ahead and and suspended the the season Um, but it's starting to pick back up because as you know recruiting really never ends it may still be too early to tell but we're starting to see a couple of decommitments already Greg when you look at players that are committed in this league at least while the other leagues continue to move forward with their seasons what type of of handcuff does this put on the Big Ten Conference and what limitations and and therefore struggles does it put on this league while you have other leagues uh, dialing up their phone lines of these recruits? Yeah, I, I think the immediate thing, and we know that kind of negative recruiting or quote-unquote dirty recruiting happens all the time anyway. Um, so when you're in a situation like this, if, if you're coaches, and it won't be all of them, but I'm sure there are coaches from the SEC, uh, from the Big 12, from the ACC, calling up kids that are on commit list or kids that are on the fence about decisions and just saying, hey, listen, it, it means more here. We're, we're going to try to play. We're doing you know all the things correctly that we can do within our power to be able to make sure that our guys get a chance to play um, and we'll see how that shakes out like I'm not totally convinced that in the long run that that's going to make a huge difference I do think that just the pandemic in general um, has caused kids to be a little skittish about their commitments especially kids that are far far from far away uh, from the colleges that they committed to so it'll be a while um, and time will tell if we see what it really is and how it really shakes out um, but I definitely don't think that that will stop um, coaches from trying to use that as part of their pitch that were already kind of negatively recruited 
And Greg, we could probably, you know, I'm sure there are fans that have already taken that that situation of the Big Ten not playing football or negative recruiting, if you will, whether it's true or not to Will Schweitzer, the 6'4", 215-pound defensive end, who decommitted from Nebraska a few hours later, committed to Notre Dame. Let's start first about what you know about this young man. It sounded like he had a great relationship with the coaches, and then uh, obviously, you know, something changed, therefore, in his recruiting and, and began to pique interest other places and, and lands at Notre Dame. I don't think it was too surprising to see a commitment, you know, there, thereafter, the, the decommitment, but what, what, what do you take away from from what you know about Will Schweitzer and his decision to commit and then decide ultimately that this wasn't the place for him. Yeah, the the commitment that Nebraska got from Will was kind of interesting because it was one of the ones, and Nebraska's had a handful of these throughout um, kind of the dead period where they've got a commitment from a kid um, who had not been able to visit the campus kind of officially or unofficially. Like, I've been kind of terming them like these super unofficial visits, and he did that, Will did with his family, where he came out from California and just kind of walked around campus and just got a feel for Lincoln itself. Um, but that's still not the same as if you get an unofficial visit or you definitely an official visit Um, and he did have a really good relationship with Nebraska's coaching staff and he really liked and was excited about um, the type of role he would have in Eric Canander's defense but the issue on this particular case was not necessarily Nebraska playing football or or not playing football versus Notre Dame playing football Um, I think that Will always had Notre Dame as kind of his dream school Um, and once they offered and it kind of went under the radar because he didn't publicize it like a lot of kids do when they pick Mm -hmm. up new offers um, out of respect for Nebraska initially, and then he went and took one of those kind of secret uh, unofficial visits to Notre Dame where he walked around, um, and then that kind of sealed the deal for him, and then he ended up flipping. Um, so it's not a, a case where he chose because they're playing football. That was just always an offer that he kind of coveted, which definitely happens uh, during the recruiting process. No doubt. Well said. Greg Smith, Hale Varsity, recruiting on our our guest here on Sports Nightly. I'm Ben McLaughlin. Well, the bad news wasn't too bad for long as the Huskers got a commitment from Camonte Grimes, who uh, had Nebraska, of course, in his final group of schools. But going to be honest, Greg, I looked at some of the other schools that, that were grouped along Nebraska and, and tried to piece some things together. I know Miami's had a heck of a lot of success recently in their own state. They've had uh, one of the better recruiting classes in the country put together in the last few weeks. I wasn't feeling overly optimistic. Didn't know a lot about Grimes' situation. A lot of the experts predicted him to end up a Wolverine in Ann Arbor of course he says yes to the Huskers Uh, tell us a little bit about his young this young man and what he could potentially bring and, and what you know was the deciding factor in his commitment yeah, Kamate Grimes is a really intriguing prospect for Nebraska. You know, as they continue to load up on receivers that have some nice size to them, and I feel like we're always talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as that has kind of turned for Nebraska, where it seems like Matt Lubick has put even more emphasis on bringing guys in with size, um, as Grimes is, goes about 6'2", 200 pounds, and you watch his film, um, he's a well-put-together kid. And it's funny because it doesn't look like he's running all that fast on film, but he's constantly running away from people um, and, and in a state of Florida, that's always a great sign, right? Um, so you can't go wrong with that. Uh, but you're right. Uh, Miami was involved. Michigan was involved as well. I think the deciding factor uh, for Grimes is the way that Scott Frost uh, and Matt Lubick were able to pitch him on how they would use him kind of all over the field in this offense. As you do kind of have two different philosophies offensively between Nebraska and yeah. Michigan. And I think a lot of times that can help Nebraska a lot, especially if they get that offense rolling because you can't help but want to play in that wide open offense. No question about it. When you look at Camonte and, and obviously another Florida guy, 
there's been there's been some chatter, Greg, fair or not, to the to the Florida kids that have ended up here in re, in, in in you know the last specifically this last cycle with Jaden Francois and Henry Gray that they can be a little flighty. Uh, fair or not, that's that's a reputation that's out there. What can you say about this coaching staff's just relentless ability to go down here and get kids and maybe add some some comfort to those Florida guys that are still here, the Ronald Delancey's, the Marcus Flemings, that we're going to continue to bring guys up here from this state to make you feel – make partly to make you guys feel more at home, but also to better our football team. I, I think that, Ben, that's a really, really key point of, of continuing to hammer Florida to be able to bring more guys to make you comfortable um, on the roster. And we talk about that with any number of situations when you're trying to build pipelines, um, whether it's from the south in general or out west or if it's in Hawaii. Like, you have to start with a group, get them to stick around, have them have a little bit of success on the football field, and then also you then you can really start to build things along and you can get something going. Um, but Nebraska's not going to stop recruiting Florida. They have too many ties um, down there, kind of led by Travis Fisher. We know what they did down at UCF. Um, so that's always going to be an emphasis for this coaching staff. As long as they're around um, and coaching at Nebraska, they're going to continue recruiting Florida. And, and hopefully it just continues to get better for them um, as those guys stay and end up making it onto the football field. Well, I, Greg, when I, I'm starting to piece together a little bit of, of what, what's happening right now in the sense of college football, what are you expecting the coach's mentality to be with this, to stay on recruiting. Obviously, they don't have opponents to prepare for now, but how do you expect the coaches to, I don't want to say allot their time, but but break down the time that they do get with the recruits and try and you know sell Nebraska while they're not playing for a whole nother calendar year, at least at the very least until the spring, but uh, to try and hold on to these guys that are committed and get guys like Camonte Grimes to commit while they're not playing. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be that's going to be kind of a wild card. As we started off talking about, you know, these other leagues that are playing the three that are still playing at the Power Five, um, trying to poach recruits or get guys that are undecided by saying that they're playing. On the flip side of that, teams like Nebraska and other schools in these conferences that aren't playing will be able to have more time to be able to devote towards talking to these recruits and kind of evaluating their board and watching film because they're not going to have a game to get ready for. Even like as long like even right now, you think about teams. In the SEC having to get practice plans ready as they release their schedule and they're starting to get ready for that. They have to turn their eye to that. Nebraska's focus right now can be mostly on recruiting, so that could end up helping them. The problem is, is that after we kind of went through quarantine with no camps and all an evaluation and new stuff to watch, um, there's not as much stuff to be able to dive into to really evaluate recruits, so it's really just continuing to build those relationships, but they have ample time to do that now. Greg, we'll uh, we'll wrap up with this. We got Desan McCullough from uh, from Overland Park committing tomorrow. Looks like an Ohio State lean from here, but obviously around here, Thomas Fedoni from Council Bluffs uh, put out a, a tweet potentially about his commitment date. Those are two guys that have Nebraska kind of in their final group. Anybody else that we can expect uh, announcements from? And in the case of Fedoni, where are you at with him right now? Uh, and Nebraska's uh, chances to land him, and and I guess I guess we'll throw McCullough in there too, just because he announced a little bit ago, you know, he's going to commit tomorrow. But uh, about these two in particular, and then anybody else that we should be watching for. Yeah, Deshaun McCullough is a 2022 outside linebacker that reminds me um, a heck of a lot of the kid that just went to Clemson, whose name I just blanked on from Kansas, um, that just went into the NFL. Um, he's a heck of a player. Yeah, it does seem like Ohio State at this point, but 
Nebraska really likes him, so they'll stay on him. Um, as far as Thomas Spadoni goes, I, I like where Nebraska is with Spadoni. I think that of all of the cases out there of different recruits on how, you know, having the dead period and not getting guys on campus could hurt Nebraska, Spadoni, it actually works in the opposite direction because they've had him on campus so often and he's nearby and has such a good relationship with not only the coaches but the players on the team and the players in the recruiting class. The other two guys, though, ironically enough, are tight ends that I have my eye on. James Carney out in Norris, who does not hold an offer yet, but it feels like Nebraska is close. Um, and if they do offer him, I think he ends up in the class. And then A.J. Rollins uh, from Creighton Prep out in Omaha, um, he's another guy that I have an eye on that I think will need to make a decision sooner than later and kind of has Nebraska in his top two along with Missouri. Um, those are a couple of guys that, I, that I'm looking at because Nebraska has a real good shot to come away with a nice tight end class this cycle. I was going to let you go on that last one. I'm going to steal a little bit more of your time here. Last question, I promise. When That, that kind of leads me to believe you mentioned the two guys here in the state. With some districts canceling football and, and putting some prospects in a tough situation on what's a really, really good couple of years with Nebraska football recruiting, what have you heard from some local coaches about what this does to their recruitment and, and what that can mean for their futures? Yeah, it, it's going. It will be great for recruitments if they can end up finding if they can make it through and play. Um, it was really tough leading into this where they didn't have camps and they weren't able to be seen because there end up being so many kids. And it's not even just like Nebraska recruiting by coming to the Huskers. It's all the surrounding smaller schools. It's other opportunities as well. Um, so that ended up being really tough. So by losing that, you really do lose out. So if Nebraska kids can get a season under their belts, especially those seniors, that can do nothing but help them a lot um, and there are a lot of coaches and parents and prospects that are concerned about that uh, so hopefully they're able to get their seasons in to kind of help themselves greg smith hill varsity talking recruiting with us here on sports nightly greg thanks so much for the update great stuff look forward to talking again stay safe my friend appreciate you jumping on with us tonight hey you too man have a great week thank you greg smith hill varsity Big hour coming up. Jeremiah Searle is going to be here in just a couple of minutes. Former Husker, member of our team here at Husker Sports. Get his take on the craziness of the last couple of weeks for Big Ten football. Scott Docterman of The Athletic will be here. He's been covering the Iowa part of this story. They were the first parent group to get together and hand deliver a letter to the league office. We'll get his thoughts about all this. And we'll keep some lines open for you to join us as well at 531 546 86. You can also fire us a text on that same number on our U.S. cellular text line, the official wireless provider of the Huskers at 531-500-4686. In fact, let's start the hour with a call. Let's run up to Omaha and Sean. Good evening, Sean. Welcome to Sports Nightly. Hey, yeah, I'm a little concerned. These kids are all competitive. For one, you still got rec sports coming on. You know, for the uh, all the dorms are still having their flag football teams for each floor. These guys are going to play in those, risking themselves to injury with kids that aren't tested and letting them play. Isn't that crazy that they're going to let intramurals go on on campus and yet the... records <laughs> coming from all over without being tested. And you know that some of these guys that are freshmen or maybe a red shirt on any one of the sports teams is going to play volleyball or basketball or flag football. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Like that. 
All right, Sean, appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many things like this. I talked to a guy over the weekend that knows somebody that plays in the AAU circuit, and he goes, they had their full schedule all summer. They had teams flying around the country, staying in hotels, playing games in big gyms with fans all around the place. You had baseball leagues, even collegiate leagues that took place all summer long, and they played. Uh, you know soccer has been going on around the country, and – in fact, I was driving in East Lincoln late last night, and the, the YMCA fields out there were packed with, with soccer kids playing right now. I just I, I, And that's what's so hard for a college player in the Big Ten right now. I go, wait a minute, all these other things are going on, and yet you're telling me I, I can't play. It's, it's hard. It's really hard. One guy that might have some answers for us joins us now, and that's Jeremiah Searles, former Husker, now a retired NFL player. Jeremiah, how do you compartmentalize the last week or so? Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's, it was such, when you can even rewind it, almost like 10 days when the schedule came out and how much optimism and how much hope there was. It's like, oh, man, this is really going to happen. And then four days later, it's like, ah, just kidding. And, I mean, I went through, I went through the, the emotional stages where I think on Wednesday I ate my way through my feelings at <laughs> some ice cream cake and was just angry. And then Thursday, Friday turned to uh, pure anger and like, okay, who can I blame? Who can I yell at? And it's just, it's just this weird thing because nobody knows anything. Um, everyone just kind of points to everyone else and is like, all we know is we're not having a season. But then you ask the wonderful question of why? And no one has a very good answer. And I think it's it's getting harder and harder to swallow. And more and more people are stepping up to bat to want more answers. But, I mean, I've just been kind of sitting here going from not just, like, anger from a fandom, but a lot of just disappointment for the players, too. What do you think's going through their mind? They have to be a little lost right now, aren't they? I couldn't imagine. I mean, someone asked me, I was doing a podcast, uh, and someone asked me, like, hey, take yourself back to August 2013. You're gearing up for your senior year, and this happens. Like, what do you do? And like you start trying to think of all the threads that need to unravel of, well, do I want to go to the NFL? Do I want to play in the spring? Can I even play in the spring? Will there be a spring? I mean, there's just so much going on and you've worked so hard. I mean, especially for these seniors that have been through a lot going into year three of frost system, they've been through a couple of head coaches. And I mean, it's just one of those things that as you, as you really start to look at it, like this has such a broader impact and such a bigger scale that as a player, you just sit at home and you wake up every day and you check Twitter as to what's new. And, I mean, that's about all you can do. You can control what you can control to an extent. But when you're when you're just sitting there at the mercy of someone else, knowing you didn't even have a dog in this fight because you, you didn't have a choice to put your voice out there, I think that would be the more frustrating piece to it all. Well, this weekend the big movement was by the players. I think it started at Iowa and then Ohio State's parents and Nebraska then jumped on board as well. And, and good for them, right? I mean, good for them to stand up for their for their kids. Yeah, I mean, I think that Iowa, I think Iowa has the best argument, right? They're like, hey, we live here in Iowa City and we're not allowed to play football, but Iowa State in Ames is somehow safe. Like, so, I mean, they have a great argument. I think it's great the parents are backing their players. Um, I retweeted something the other day that's like someone was talking about how these 18 to 22-year-old kids can't make these type of decisions for themselves and sign these waivers. I was like, oh, wait, so they, they can vote for who's going to be the president of our country. They can vote for local, like, leadership. And they can go to war and die for this country, but they can't sign a waiver saying, I don't want to catch a COVID or not catch COVID. I want to play football. Like, it just doesn't make a lot. It seems like there's a lot of hypocrisy in those decisions. But I think that the ability to have parents step up, players step up and say, hey, we want to play. We want a voice and we demand answers. I mean, now, whether they get those answers or not, who knows? But I think the fact that they're willing to step up and fight for it shows a lot of guts about who we are and who we're built, especially at those schools like Nebraska, Iowa, Ohio State.
Well, we don't know if we're going to get a response from this from the commissioner of the Big Ten. I think we, we should. Won't. We should get one. And what would you want to hear? What would you want to hear the commissioner come out and say now? I want to hear him say what happened in those four days, like what all of a sudden just completely changed, like what made you completely – the parents ask it in the Nebraska letter, like what corresponded in those four days from schedule release, we're having a season, to just complete plug pull, like no postponement, no, no, hey, we're going to push season back a couple weeks. Like what new information with the disease and a virus that we've been dealing with since March came out in those four days that said, nope, not feasible, not able to do it, what went on? And if he has a good answer for that, cool. But if he doesn't, I really want to know, okay, then what went into your decision process and why? But the, we, I mean, and what sucks, Greg, is we don't, we don't have any leverage of making him answer that for us. Yeah. Like he can, he can literally just be like, I said no. And we'd have to deal with that and we have to live with that. And I think that really sucks, but that's just kind of part of it. And everyone's saying like, well, maybe he'll go back and reopen football season. First year commissioner, not going to look weak and overturn his first major decision. I don't care if it's right, wrong or indifferent. I just, I can't see him now all of a sudden coming back and be like, you know what? I was wrong and we're going to play this year. No, yeah, I, I don't think that happens uh, at all. And I've had that people ask me in the last 24 hours. I'm like, no, don't don't be getting your hopes up. It's, nope. it's not going to happen. How about um, he has a son who is a third-year player at Mississippi State. They are still a go for their season. His son can't play, can he? I mean, what would the optics of that be like? I mean, I, all I know is I better not see him at a game. Like, that, that would yeah. make me real upset if Kevin Warren stayed at sideline on a game. And, and here's the thing. I know Kevin Warren. I, he sat in front of me for three years on the airplane when I was with the Minnesota Vikings. He was the VP of operations, and he sat right in front of me. I, Mr. Warren, hi, how are you? I know him very well. And it, it's frustrating for me that I want to call him and be like, what are we doing? But not my place. Um, but, yeah, I mean, his, his son can't play. And I hate that for his son. I don't even hate that for Kevin. I hate that for his son. His son should be able to play. Every student athlete should be able to play this year um, if they have the right and they want to. And they don't, and they, they sign the waiver. They understand the risks. And they're willing to take the chance. And I think that that should be every right. That should be every opportunity for, I mean, not just sports, but, I mean, all across the board if you really want to even go that far. But for sports specifically, I think that that's what we need to do. And we need to allow people to make their own decisions. Getting busy with Jeremiah Searles here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. I think they're still in a fog, Jeremiah, in North Stadium. Not quite sure what to do. They have the ability to continue to work 20 hours a week with the student-athletes. I know school began today, so they probably want the, the kids just to kind of get acclimated to school. And I think it's all online this week on campus. But what, what should they do in the next month or so? Should they do workouts? Should they back off? I mean, I, nobody knows what to do because this is uncharted territory. What would you like them to do? I think what I think Duvall and Scott need to sit down and put an end goal on like, okay, what do we want to accomplish here in these next few weeks? Do we want to practice? Do we want to get bigger, faster, stronger? Do we want a combination of the two? And how do they blend together? Because every strength coach in America right now is like, cool, great, get them in the weight room. We're going to start lifting. And every coach is like, well, we can have them on the field. So we want to get some work in because we didn't have a spring. We didn't have a camp. Like, So I think that there's a perfect blend of the two that can happen. I think Scott and Zach will sit down and say, okay, maybe we're going to practice three days this week. We're going to lift two. And then next week we're going to lift three and practice two or whatever it might be as far as what you can do on and off the field within the laws. But I think you need to find a way to just continue to get better as a team. Um, Nebraska's got a long way to go. We were no by, by no shape or form. Were we supposed to be the front runners in the Big Ten this year? And so we know that. Everyone knows that. And we got a lot of work to do for it. 
All right, I'm going to turn the spotlight on you. How, how oh. are you handling the fact that you're not at a camp right now? This is the first fall you haven't been in an NFL camp. They're open now. They started pads a lot of it around the league today. How are you holding up? Are you having some withdrawal? A little bit. Uh, the first the first few weeks when everyone was reporting to camp was tough. Uh, seeing, like, the pictures post up and everyone pop up, and you're like, man, like, this is just weird. And it's just weird, like, spending a birthday – yeah, by myself at in Nebraska, like, is the first time I've done that since I was, like, 16. Um, I've always been in a camp. And so it's been weird, but I'll tell you this. I was watching them hit today, and I was like, hmm, don't really miss that. <laughs> like, don't don't really miss the, the, the one-on-one ram drills and the one-on-one pass rush drills. And, I mean, you miss it, but, like, your body's like, man, I don't, I don't miss that at all because of the wear and tear that it puts on your body. I mean, Spencer Long just retired because of that reason. And, I mean, we just have a lot of – we have a lot of guys in my class that are coming to the end of their career careers and it's crazy it's sad but it's part of the life in the nfl but it's been good to be home good to spend time with the little man good to spend time with the wife and uh hopefully get a chance to debate desmond howard at some point in time because <laughs> i am coming for his head uh pros and cons of no preseason game what would they be Pros, if you're a five-year-plus vet, you are never happier, man. You you know you're in the two deep. You you could you're singing from the rooftops. Cons, if you're a first, second, third-year undrafted free agent rookie, you are crying and dying inside because you have no chance of making that football team. And as as terrible as that is to say, if you can't show that you can do it in live reps in a, in a game, no other 31 other teams aren't going to take the chance on you. And that's what really sucks for these guys that won't have these opportunities to go out there and perform for the other 31 other teams. Yeah, like they're going to have 16 practice squad spots this year, which is nice. You'll get some more guys that stick around. But you see five, six guys from each team that are undrafted free agent rookies that go out and ball in the preseason and get picked up on active rosters all across the league. And you're just not going to see that this year. And you're going to see just a record number of undrafted free agent rookies get cut. First of all, they only signed 44% of usual undrafted free agent rookies this year because of everything. And I mean, you're going to see majority of those guys get released because there's no time to really trust that they'll be able to do it. You're going to bring in veterans. Like, I mean, if I was on the street, you'd bring a veteran in myself playing experience over a rookie because you know he can do it versus the chance and the gamble on a rookie. All right, I need your, I need your help for – and I need help. I, I'm not sure how I feel about this, Jeremiah. Okay. Um, whether I want to see those other power leagues play football this fall or not. Part of me wants to see them play to kind of prove the Big Ten mm-hmm. wrong, but the other part of me is like, I don't think that's good for Nebraska if those people play. I'm really torn on this deal. I'm with you, man. It's like I want college football. I would much rather watch college football than NFL football any day of the week. I think it's more exciting. I think it's more different to watch. I mean, it's not as quite as talented, but it's so fun to watch. And so I don't want to lose that completely. But at the same time, I know I'll have this dying inside bitterness as I watch them, knowing that Memorial Stadium's sitting empty on a Saturday in September. And so it is, it's a weird thing. And there's part of the hopes that it goes off and those three leagues go and then everyone looks at the Big Ten like, hey, dum-dums, what are we doing? <laughs> but then there's another piece that wants it to not even go because if it does go and then falls apart of the seams and the Big Ten can stand there and pound their chest a little bit, I don't want that either. You're in the same boat I am. I'm just torn. Uh, part of me is like, yeah, I could like that, but I won't like this. So, uh, well, it's crazy. All, all of it's crazy. We appreciate you always sounding off with us. We'll keep in touch. Uh, as we know, the NFL is going to get going. I don't have any oh, yeah. qualms about that. They're going to play. Uh, we'll oh, just see what yes. happens in college. Thank you, my friend. Have a good week. Absolutely, guys. Appreciate it. Go Big Red.
Welcome back. Sports Highly Monday night here on the Oscar Sports Summer. Greg Sharp with you. Again, I hope everybody had a good weekend. Just a couple of more summer weekends left. We're not that far away from Labor Day, which should have been the start of <laughs> Big Ten football, but that's not going to happen. And one guy that will now have some free time in the fall joins us now, Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Greg, or as I guess it <laughs> could be expected. <laughs> that force of habit. How are you? Well, I, I'm, I'm, my head's spinning. It's been such a wild couple of weeks. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously this didn't play real well in Iowa City as, as the Hawkeye parents were quickly organizing and, and getting their letter dropped off of the Big Ten office. What is the temperature about all of this around the Hawkeye program right now? Yeah, they're they're pretty close to being ready to storm the offices in Rosemont, Illinois. So I mean, I think uh, there's there's some solidarity there between the Iowa faithful and the Nebraska faithful, maybe for the first only time uh, in, in history. But um, you know, right now they, they the parents have really organized. I, I talked to one today, and and it got uh, to up to two hundred on a Zoom call. Really calling for the Big Ten to try to find some way for the Big Ten to save face and for them also to uh, restore the fall season. And some of that's by the new saliva testing. Uh, some of it is, you know, maybe forcing the athletes to do remote schooling. I mean, I think it's all a pipe dream, but everybody here is, is just devastated. And I know it's exactly the same way in Lincoln and Omaha. So uh, I guess there's we're all going to be miserable together, I suppose. Scott, one of the, the reputations of the Big Ten Conference for years and years and decades and decades is that they always seem to march to one beat of the, the one beat of a drum and don't get out of line at all. Well, this seems really contrary to all of that. How did we get to this point in your eyes? Yeah, there was a lot of division um, around this decision, and that hasn't really happened before, as you mentioned. I mean, you know, usually there there have been a lot of disagreements. Don't get me wrong in the past, but they've all got to a common ground. And, I mean, maybe this is a time that everybody should look back at, at the brilliance that was Jim Delaney and being able to get presidents who are very powerful people and, and headstrong people to all get on the same page and look in one direction and then kind of get everyone else to follow. And Kevin Warren doesn't have that kind of cash. And and uh, when you have this kind of division, that this is something that Delaney would have normally smoothed out. He would have pushed down the road to try to build some sort of consensus. Well, they made such a quick decision that it didn't uh, play out very well. I mean, when you see, I, I kind of characterize this as the five groups of parents that are going after the Big Ten kind of come from the five places where football is almost a religion. The other nine places, it's just really, really important. So, you know, right now you're looking at kind of this division, and I'm not sure. I don't know if Kevin Warren's the right guy to, to heal it because uh, he lost a lot of uh, of equity based on this decision. So this is this is going to be something that sticks with the Big Ten for a while, and, it, and it's in a place we've never seen it before. How did his responses to Dave Revson's questions after the announcement play in, in and around Iowa City? The exact same way they played in Lincoln. I my <laughs> phone was beeping and going crazy for people just because they could not believe what they were hearing. I mean, the lack of specifics, the just you know every every phrase had the word uncertainty in it. Well, everybody knows this whole thing's an uncertainty. It's been an uncertainty since really late February, but 
what changed in the last six days, you know, from when a schedule was unveiled and everybody was kind of going, okay, we got something. Maybe we can look forward to something. And then six days later, it's gone. All hope is gone. And none of those responses came forward. And, and everybody was put in the same position of what happened. And, and uh, he didn't answer any of those questions and really has not since then. So he needs to come forward. I, I chatted a little bit with somebody from the Big Ten today who said, uh, you know, that, there probably will be a response based on the parents. But I think this is something that he's – I don't know. You know, he may survive in his job, but I don't know that his stature is going to survive this kind of a blow. Yeah, it seems to me that's going to be tough to – I mean, he can get the next 15, 20 things right, but people are always going to remember this because this is going to be talked about for years and decades to come. Again, we're visiting with Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Who or who were the organizers of the, the parent letter? Do, do you know who, kind of how that got started? Yeah, I talked to a few of them uh, recently, and two that, kind of, that really were at the forefront is uh, Jack Kerner's dad, Gary. He's Jack's a safety at Iowa. Uh, Gary, they live in the West Des Moines area, and Mark Kallenberger, who is from Bettendorf, Iowa, on the eastern side, his his dad, Jay, um, they were among the forerunners where the first night, right after all that was released, they got on a Zoom call, and there were 11 of them. And they were just kind of, I think everybody was just talking things out. They really didn't know where anything was going to go. And then, you know, everything picked up steam within a couple of days, and, and they really felt strongly about how wrong this was in their eyes and how they needed to give them a chance to play. And and then that's when the letters all came about. And, of course, uh, you know, the, the long snappers' parents uh, went to Rosemont, Illinois, to drop off the letters. So it really it transpired over about a two- to three-day period. And and now they, they they feel like their first phase of just gaining aware of uh, Spreading their word is, is kind of uh, phased out, and now they want the second one, which is to, to get fall football. I don't think that's realistic, but I think that you know, any if we can have even a sliver of hope, point oh 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 one percent chances, we'll take it right now. <laughs> yeah, I've, I got asked that a bunch over the weekend, and I'm with you. I just I don't I don't see them reversing course that much to to allow people to play games. I know the Husker staff is kind of in a fog right now. I'm not sure they quite know where to go from here. What about Kirk Ferentz? So they laid out a plan for their team over the coming weeks. Are they going to continue to work out? What do you have any idea what they're planning on doing in the next three, four weeks? Yeah, Kirk. When I talked to him just after this all went down, and, and he pretty much just told the players scatter till the first day of school, and then we'll mm-hmm. figure something out after that. Which you know, planning, training, because. Uh, unless they get called back and say tomorrow there's an about face from from Rosemont, and I don't see that happening. But if they call them back, then yeah, they'll all come and play. But he just wanted them to get it out of you know get away, get it out of their system, and then come back. But you know this has been tough. Uh, talking to Gary Barta, the athletic director, I mean you know they're looking at a you know seventy seventy five million dollar shortfall. Now if if they could play in the spring, that'll erase a lot of that. But until they do that, it's you know they're going to have to do layoffs, furloughs, maybe suspensions or eliminations of sports. I mean, you know, and the football programs are the same boat. I mean, for you know, who knows? They may even have coaches furloughed in the fall. You know, until this uh, speeds up, because this is just such a economic downer for everybody. And then you know, just like in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I, you know, in Iowa City, 
uh, all of the businesses, the hotels, the restaurants. Uh, I mean, this is just an absolute killer of a year. And I think everybody has come to the same conclusion. And I know Kirk Ferentz brought it up last week, which is, I thought they were going to delay it, push it back, and to have it outright canceled was just very difficult for them to accept, and, and certainly that was the case in, in, in five different communities. Uh, I was with him. That's exactly what I thought they were going to do, is push it back maybe to the 26th, late September, like the SEC is doing, and see what it what it looks like then. And, I, and I, I'm in agreement with you, Scott. I think the dark shadow of this is, hasn't even begun to be cast. I think that's going to happen in the coming weeks. The one thing that the Hawkeyes have to deal with that the Huskers don't is you have another Division One program within the borders of that state, and Iowa State, who as of right now, is set to play. I mean, that's if they play and they kick off games here in a couple of weeks, that's going to be a real tough pill to swallow, I would think, for the Hawkeye program. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the fans here are just, you know, it's, it's still they're kind of in a fog, but if they're looking at September 12th, and that's the day they normally would play Iowa State, and Iowa State's playing Louisiana on television, and nobody's at, at Kinnick, there's no Kinnick wave, there's no Kinnick speech, there's nothing like that, it'll, it'll kill them. It, it really will. And, and I think it'll be similar for Nebraska to watch, you know, your old Big 8 rivals, mm-hmm. uh, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, and, you know, Mizzou in the, in the SEC conference, uh, you know, playing, and, and you're not. I mean, it's just, it's, it's going to be a surreal feeling, and I wrote about this on Sunday, just my day, you know, covering Iowa football from basically the moment I leave the house to when I get home, and, and all the little th- funny things and, and odd things that you go through, it, this hasn't hit us yet. But I guarantee when we get to September and then we get to that first crisp day in October and we wake up and the sun's shining and there's no, in your case, Husker football, no Hawkeye football, uh, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt really bad for a lot of people. And and I just I think that the Big Ten made a huge mistake by not just pushing it out. I mean, if even if we if we wouldn't have came to that conclusion, that's okay. But. I just think that right now jumping the gun is going to do irreparable damage to the league, to Kevin Warren's legacy, and and to these communities. Well, I think you're probably right. You know, the one thing college football doesn't have, and they don't have a commissioner, and maybe maybe this can push to that at some point in time. Let me jump ahead a few months with you, and let's speculate a little about college basketball. They are under the umbrella of the NCAA. Mark Emmert will have the ultimate call on whether college basketball happens. What's your confidence level that we'll see some hoops sometime in this calendar, this uh, academic calendar year? Yeah, I think we will. I and and the reason is is I think it's easier with basketball with fewer players. Uh, you know, when I think the majority of, of schools are going to go virtual. You know, right around Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving. So uh, a lot of these athletes can you can sequester them. You could get eight teams together in let's say Des Moines or Omaha and play at uh, at a Creighton or play at break or Wells Fargo Arena, and you can kind of just, uh, you know, put them in a hotel, put them in dorms that are disinfected, you know, for a week. You can put six or seven teams together or, you know, games together with those teams and, and have them play for a full week straight. And during the day, you could just take your, your online classes. I think that's pretty easy. Obviously, you can't play more than one football game a week, let alone more than one. So I think uh, that that's what advantage they have. 
they'll probably be able to do that. They'll look to the NBA for what, what they went through. And if they do that a couple of times during the, uh, the, during the winter before the second semester starts, maybe they have a chance then to go on campus. But I, I do think they'll get some semblance of a season together. Well, I hope you're right. One last thing for you, Scott. What's the status of high school football in the state here in Nebraska? They're going to give it a go, except for the Omaha district. They've opted out, but everybody else is going to give it a go. What about in the state of Iowa? Yeah, they're going to play. Uh, they they had kind of this odd scenario where it's five. Um, you get you could play five games up to seven, and then everybody makes the playoffs. So there's not the the, the normal district nine game season where you, you play a few games in district and then out of district and there's a qualification. Everybody's going to make the state uh, playoffs. And it's been kind of odd because a couple of high profile players uh, that, that have you know committed one to Iowa, one to Kansas state, they're moving to the state to compete. So I think you might see a few more of those, uh, you know, wanting to get in a senior year in an area where they're playing in the, in the spring. So uh, they're going to give it a go. Um, they, they played high school baseball and softball during the summer so they do have a little bit of a test run so i think uh i think it'll be interesting to see how this holds up and if that goes and the cyclones go my goodness i i just can't imagine the temper of people gonna be around big 10 country scott great stuff as always thank you so much stay healthy and let's let's chat soon yeah thanks for having me on greg i really appreciate it yep. scott Doctorman of the athletic with us Parker Gabriel, the Lincoln Journal star, just put out a tweet that said that they reached out, he, their paper reached out to Nebraska to ask about, was there a vote? Was there not a vote? The NU spokesman said, quote, that goes to the confidentiality of the board and is something that we can't discuss. There you go. Okay. No that answer. That. <laughs> no <laughs> answer. Yes or no? Nope. No, no answer. <laughs> Welcome back. It's Hour 3 Sports Island here on a Monday night. Coming up here in a couple of minutes, we'll have our weekend rewind. Then we'll take a look back at the last couple of days in the sports world. And then we'll later on in the hour have our weekend winners. And then we'll have some open phone segments for you if you want to sound off on this wild and wacky time that we're living in here in COVID-19 and the cancellation of the Big Ten football seasons. We'll have some open phones later on in the hour. But let's get the hour underway with the Rewind. See the game last night? Which game? Any of them. Oh, there's a cat. A black cat is taking the field. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way, and so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25 near the 24-yard line. They've stopped playing. The players with hands on hips are watching the cat run and zigzag all over the field. Now a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. Let's check out the highlights. Steven Jackson's David. Reggie Miller's looking good. He shoots a three, and it's good. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. It's the Weekend Rewind with Ben McLaughlin. All right. While we uh, have sports, we've been taking advantage of these Weekend Rewinds, and for as much as we can get out of it, sports happening this weekend. Only one NBA game, though, as the playoffs get underway, and it was the Western Conference play-in game. Yes, the new caveat to the NBA season. If the nine-seed finish was within four games of the eight-seed, they are given a chance to play their way into the playoffs by beating that eight-seed. 
two times, while the eight seed only has to win once. That sets up a matchup between the Memphis Grizzlies and the Red Hot Portland Trailblazers. Of course, Portland, the eight seed, only having to win once, and they erase a deficit going into the fourth quarter. They outscore Memphis 37-28 to win the game 126-122, advance themselves into the playoffs with an under 500 record at 35 and 39 uh yes damian lillard has been the big story for portland he finishes with 31 points but how about joseph nurkic finishing with 22 points and 21 rebounds for the blazers the reinvigorated carmelo anthony finishes with 21 for portland for Memphis, Ja Morant, 35 points, and Jonas Valanquinas finishes with 22 points and 17 boards. But Portland advances uh, to take over, and big effort from them in the fourth quarter. Lillard, one-on-one with Allen. Drives, kicks it out, Anthony. Anthony for three. Bang! Carmelo Anthony makes it a six-point game. That was the dagger three by Carmelo Anthony late with just under two minutes to go. Puts it away 126-122. But, man, for all the talk of Dame, had some other guys step up. That that little playing thing was a big hit. I, social media was buzzing about it on Saturday afternoon about, this is awesome. It's kind of like a wild card game, and except Portland gets two tries because they blow one. There's another game tomorrow. Fans seem to really like that little wrinkle that they put in there to wrap up the regular season for the NBA. And is Carmelo Anthony, Tim may have to do some research on this, is he the oldest player in the NBA? He's got to be close, right? Vince Carter was, and then he obviously played his last game with the Atlanta Hawks. But, I mean, now he'd be close. Potentially, yeah. I mean, he, so, I think it was 01 that Syracuse won the national title when he was a freshman in high school. So yeah. he's got to be, be 38, something like that. You don't have many 38-year-olds in the NBA. Matchups in the NBA playoffs. The one seed in the East, Milwaukee, will take on the eight seed, the Orlando Magic, Raptors, and Nets. Is the two seven matchup. Toronto leads one game to none. Uh, we were talking a moment ago about the Celtics Sixers. That's the three six matchup uh, there with Boston and Philadelphia. And the four five are the Pacers and the Heat. So there's your matchups in the East and the West. It's the Lakers and the Blazers at the number eight seed. So good. Good luck. Go have fun playing the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers. The other team in L.A., the Clippers, have the two seed. They'll take on the Mavericks as the seven seed. Nuggets and Jazz. It was the Nuggets winning earlier today as the three seed over the six seed. Jazz one game to none. And the four or five there, you have the Houston Rockets and the Oklahoma City Thunder. So your matchups are set for the NBA playoffs. Boston wins it 109-101. Tim had it. It was close to being a final in the ticker. All right, boys. Who you got? Give me, give me the finals. I'll go first. Okay. Since I've been thinking about it, you guys were working there. I got Milwaukee coming out of the East and the Lakers in the West. Same. I want to be different, really? but I, I say the same, yeah. Tim? Sign me up for, yeah, Lakers, Bucks. I'm boring. Also, I have an answer, gentlemen, for oldest yeah. NBA player. I knew uh, you would. Adonis Haslam. Okay. Uh, of the Miami Heat. Right behind him, Kyle Korver, a uh, fan that wow. a player that Nebraska fans will be all too yeah. familiar with. And you got Tyson Chandler, Andre Iguodala, and then yeah, Thomas There's a Zephosha. bunch of them then. There's yep. a bunch of them that are older. And then, yeah, but Carmelo's seventh, or I guess six, six oldest. But yeah, Thabo okay. Cephalosha comes in just before right. him, born in 84. But yeah, Carmelo Anthony, born in 84, and has been playing, uh, what, he's 35 right now, has been in the league since 03. So quite a while, quite a while. Yes. 
All right, so two Milwaukee's and the Lakers and Tim, you were yep, same deal. I'm, I'm I, all I mean, three. The, the Clippers could realistically beat them. I mean, it's possible. Well, maybe just, I'll just say Celtics and coming out of the East. Who knows? Think, or the Raptors. I mean, can't the Raptors get out of there or not? I mean, they could. Yeah. It's, Aren't I mean, they the defending champs? I know they, they are. Kawhi. Yeah, they like, like Kawhi. Yeah, that's kind of a that's kind of a small thing. Yeah, small. right. Small to some. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Well, we nah, we're boring. Then. We're boring. We just I went know. chalk. We cold hanged it, Ben. I, I will say, I, it, I'm, I'm more sold on the Bucks winning the East than I am the Lakers the West. I think the Clippers. I think the Clippers could knock them off. So I think yeah. you know of the, of the teams I'm most sure of. Uh, Milwaukee's probably it, even though a lot of a lot would disagree um, with that. But everybody in the West is just glad the Phoenix Suns are not part of this. Yeah, or they're playing in the bubble anymore, right? <laughs> All right, let's jump to some Major League Baseball, shall we? We already mentioned the Cardinals and the White Sox. Cardinals win game one of their doubleheader against Lucas Giolito, the ace for the Chicago White Sox, and they actually win game two, six to three. So it was a good start to. St. Louis's return. It was the Royals and the Twins this weekend, and they're playing again right now. They split the doubleheader four games to two. We'll get to Sunday's action here in just a second. Cleveland dominates Detroit throughout the weekend. We'll, we'll get more on that in a second. Yankees, Red Sox this weekend. What a weekend it was for the Oakland A's. Again, we'll highlight them here in just a second and how they finished their weekend. Dodgers, A's out west. And again, no, no Pirates and no Reds this weekend due to the COVID. 19. So those are some of your matchups. Okay, well, what happened? We already gave you some of the results. Let's start first with the Oakland Athletics and the magic that they have had on the offensive side of the ball. And their potent offense, and Mark Canna was the hero one of the days. 6-4 to four Giants, the payoff. Canna swings and sends one to left field. Back is Yastrzemski at the track, and it's gone! They've done it again! Mark Canna delivers! And the A's have taken a ninth-inning lead once more! Just ripped the hearts out of the Giants, and they had a four-run lead in one of the games. They even brought in their closer, the Giants did, and just absolutely erupted. So, Oakland A's red hot right now. It took a while for that offense to get going. Chappie and Olsen and company, but, man, they really got it together. Best team in baseball, right there, the Oakland Athletics. <laughs> uh, mentioned the Tigers and the Indians playing this weekend. Indians entered the weekend with 17 straight victories over Detroit, approach, approaching the most ever in a row or over a division rival in Major League Baseball history. They win Friday. They win Saturday. And thanks to Fran Mil Reyes, they extended out to 20 and beat him again on Sunday. Former's ready. Here it comes. And it's swung on, blasted high and deep to center. Back goes Jones, looking up. It is gone again! My goodness! And the Indians with an 8-4 lead, and Reyes with his second homer today, third in the series, and his fifth on the year. For the life of me, I have no idea why it was such a surprise that that ball went out. I was watching that game, and literally (laughs) as soon as he made contact with it, gone. Reyes just stood up and the pitcher just dropped his head. For those that are familiar with Comerica Park and all of the ivy and 
in center field. And let's not forget, it's 420 to straightaway center at that ballpark. Greg, you're familiar with the backside of Comerica in Detroit. They've got those black kind of metal railing fences to the ballpark. It goes through the hedges and bounces off one of those back black poles through the top layer of the hedges in straightaway center. That thing was an absolute bomb. Fran Miel Reyes, red hot as Cleveland beats Detroit 8-5. to five. And the Indians are such a weird team right now because they've got two of their stud pitchers and Mike Clevenger and Zach Plezak, who have been sent away from the team, two of their rotation arms. Clevenger is an all-star, and you've got people on the Cleveland roster saying, if they come back, I'm opting out. So, yeah, things are going well right now, but I don't know that this is a long-term solution for Cleveland. They put them in Siberia, right? I mean, that's kind of what, you know, the old, during World War II, if you watch Hogan's Heroes or something like that, we're sending sending them to the Russian front or to the, so yeah, that's where those guys have been banished. It's unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely crazy. The Nationals get 10 strikeouts from Max Scherzer, even though they got touched up for five runs. They beat Baltimore, who don't look now as 12-9, and nine, and Washington is trying to stay out of the basement. And the National League East, the defending World Series champs, did some trouble. The Phillies get a win over the Mets on Sunday, thanks to Andrew McCutcheon's late home, home run, two-run home run. Uh, the Braves beat the Marlins, who were, were red hot for a while. Nick Markakis, speaking of ageless wonders, we were talking about that on the hardwood. How about Nick Markakis? That guy's been around forever. And he just originally decides he wanted to sit out halfway through the, the first week. He's like, yeah, I think I'll come back. So he has come back. Let and, me back. Uh, drove in three runs yesterday to help the Braves over the Marlins. We were talking and applauding the effort of the St. Louis Cardinals on Saturday. Things went a little different on Sunday. In the air, left field, Eloy Jimenez to the line, and gone again! Four in a row, and a 7 nothing lead! It started with the three-run bomb from Yoan Moncada, and then the next three batters, that's right, back-to-back-to-back-to-back, to back to back to back. four in a row for the White Sox. That and crazy? they went at seven to two. It was, I mean, unbelievable off the same that, guy, nonetheless. By the no way, how good change. is how good is Jason Benetti? He's just so good. Solid. I've got a couple of White Sox guys on my fantasy team, so I'm stuck watching them quite a bit. They're a pretty good team. Dallas Keuchel has come out of nowhere and put together a good season. He's got an ERA just north of three, and for a guy that was barely hanging in that rotation, he's really done. A nice job. We'll stick in the uh, AL Central. Royals, Twins, they split a doubleheader 4-2 one way on Saturday, 4-2 the other way on Saturday. And, hey, why not make it a 4-2 finish yesterday as well? (laughs) Deep to right, it's hit pretty well. And the Twins take the lead. A two-run jolt for Kepler. His sixth of the year. 4-2 the final. That was the difference to Max Kepler home run. Randy Dobnak, everybody's favorite pitcher in the major leagues, improves his record to 4-1 with an ERA of 1.42. Brady Singer pitches well in the loss. His ERA is south of 5 at 4.56. Things got a little heated between these two teams at the end of the game as Sergio Romo, who's not afraid to uh, vocalize how he feels after a win or a loss for that matter. Royals took exception to the way he handled himself after getting that last out yesterday. Uh, Some comments made back and forth, but of course the Royals sweeping the Twins last weekend, splitting the matchups until that point on Sunday, playing again right now. 
Royals trying to split that series two games apiece. It's Twins leading one nothing in the fourth, but a little bad blood. It's kind of hard yeah. to hide, hide, hide how you feel and what your voice says with no fans in the stands. Apparently, the league office got involved today. Got put got both managers on a conference call and said, "Guys, we can't be having this." And the Royals were saying, "We were we were jawing at the home plate umpire, not Romo." And then Romo's yelling at our dugout because we're questioning some calls mm-hmm. by the home plate umpire. One of the things that the Royals brought up as a concern is they go, you've got to have that ambient noise because if you don't, too much chatter is getting heard uh, that doesn't need to be heard in normal baseball. Like, you know, guys will jaw at the umpires or yell out to a fielder or something. Uh, they're just saying that in Minneapolis, they didn't think there was enough of that noise kind of going on to kind of muffle some of that that was happening. So that was one of the points the Royals brought up. There's a dedicated Twitter account out there that is strictly focused on all of the expletives that are picked up on microphones oh in the MLB season, and they just po- every time one happens, they find the highlight and post it. It's running rampant, as you would expect. Yeah, they're they're if you if you watch some baseball, you're going to hear it. You are. Yeah. Rockies continue to play good how baseball. Much, they win ten to six over the Rangers. Off tar- off topic here. How much has it bothered you that there aren't fans there? It's bothered me a lot more than I thought it would. I, I think it, I thought it would be kind of interesting and fun at first. There was that one game at Camden Yards, and Gary Thorne's just hilarious. So he was pulling out his master's voice with no fans, and they didn't put any <laughs> fake noise or anything in there. It was literally just dead quiet. And I kind of thought this might be kind of kind of a niche thing, kind of fun. I was over it after the first day. I, I they, and, and every game that you watch, of course, they show highlights of games, and it's almost a little weird seeing fans catch home run balls and. It's almost like whoa! Like there's people there. They're not social distancing, you know. It's like, it's it's weird. It's it's added a, just such a weird wrinkle to baseball this year, and I am not for it. And I, I thought I, it wouldn't bother me, but it really has. I, it it really hasn't me. Uh, I think the the cutouts help. That there's something for me not to focus my eye on mm-hmm. empty seats. Uh, and the only time I really notice is, is foul balls that are kind of yeah. hit down the line. Then you notice the stands are empty, but. I see your point. It's more of it's more uncomfortable than golf. I, it, I, I oh, haven't yeah. missed them at all in golf. Right? Yeah, me neither. Although me it would neither. have been cool having spectators last week for that PGA when that thing totally. was going pretty hot. That would yeah, I do good. not miss mashed potatoes guy at all for golf. You're the man. That's, yeah, that's that's fine with me. Uh, yeah, I mentioned the Rockies playing good baseball. They're now thirteen and eight. They beat the Rangers ten to six. John Gray strikes out seven yesterday in the win. He struggled this year, but picks up his first win of the year. And how about the Tampa Bay Rays and the Toronto Blue Jays? Yes, playing in Buffalo, the absolute launching pad. This was a fun series to watch. I watched most of the series, believe it or not. And it was a it was a name that Big Ten baseball fans that would be familiar with. That was the hero for Tampa Bay. And Brandon Lau to lead off against the right-hander Romano. My ball back into center off the bat of Lau with Carey. Goodbye. Home run for Brandon Lau. And the Rays take the lead. His seventh home run of the year, and it's 3-2. Seven bombs already for the former Maryland Terrapin second baseman. I'll never forget, Greg, them walking into the Haymarket Park with the name low it looks like low l-o-w-e and they're like no it's loud i'm like pretty sure that's not loud that's low <laughs> but anyhow however you say it um he's homered in four straight games for tampa bay he's got seven on the year and tampa bay picks up their 14th win of the year but man hey that's that's a young man that he was a nice player but never did i look at him and go yep that's a big leaguer who could be an all-star 
No, he, you're right. He was all conference. I remember his his mm-hmm. year at Maryland. Solid, yeah, very solid player. Hitter. Didn't you're right? I didn't think, and I think Jacob Cronenworth, the former Michigan Wolverine, is in the the big leagues right he's now. He's playing for the Padres. He got off to a great. He's like one for his last fourteen. He's struggling now, but yeah, he was in the line. He's in the lineup every day. He's playing first base for San Diego, and, and that was a guy that I liked, but I didn't. I didn't necessarily. Say, he didn't scream big leaguer to me when we watched him play. He, had, if I remember right, he had a really good freshman year, and they tried to do the whole Schwellenbach thing where they made him a, a shortstop right. and a closer, and then a soft. Yeah. By the time sophomore year rolled around, he fell apart. But yeah. He's in the in the lineup with the Padres. The Rays, um, by the way, are my were my pick to win yeah. the East. Now I know they're, they're I think they still trail the Yankees, but they're not far off. And the Yankees are are playing so well right now. But you mentioned the A's; they finish off the sweep of the Giants, fifteen to three. The final they won four in a row. So quite the uh, weekend for the Oakland Athletics. Don't you like them? Yeah, I do. Well, their pitching—they've got so many young stars on the mound with pitching with. Manaya, who I know has struggled, but Frankie Montas and, and Jesus Lozardo, who's now back in the rotation. Yeah, they've got some excitable young talent on the mound, that's for sure. Okay, we'll finish up with UFC 252. That's right, that happened this weekend at UFC Apex in Las Vegas. The main fight, it was Daniel Cormier, who was 22-3. and three. He falls in unanimous decision to Stipe Miocic. Um, in unanimous decision again in the in the in the main card but in the uh, undercard it was Sean O'Malley a rising star who was undefeated 12 and 0 taking on Marlon Vera and this was an upset that not many saw coming Oh my goodness incredible oh my goodness interesting stoppage crazy stoppage it was quick I mean it, it was quick it was he was hurt though I mean if you he look at his play, the ref, he was clearly down Speaking of weird, not having crowd noise at a UFC fight makes that sound like Joe Rogan's calling that in a yeah. in a basement, like a basement brawl or whatever. But yeah, Sean O'Malley, flamboyant. He's got the wild hair. It's his first loss, and it came in the first round of Mar- Marlon Vera. Um, so yeah, crazy good fights happening in the uh, in the world of Ultimate Fighting this weekend, and highlighted by an upset there. But Cormier crazy got- weekend poked in the eye i think in his match i think i saw something that he got felt like he got kind of a bum rap there but is he gonna retire um he's getting he's getting there getting i don't there. know if that's his last fight or not yeah i will finish up with some golf shall we the Wyndham championship mm-hmm. you said this is the last tournament before the fedex yep. cup this is nowhere near the leaderboard that you saw a week ago in the pga it was jim herman that's right jim herman your local club club tour guy. That's what it sounds like. Local club pro. He wins it at 21 under. Monster score there. Good grief. How about this? Jim Herman um, has 10 career. He's like 32 years old or something. He's not, not a young guy. He might be older than that. He's got 10 career top 10s. 10. He's won three times. Wow. I mean, put to put that in perspective, Tony Finau has 38 career top 10s. He's won once. Wow. So th- Three out of ten, and somebody sent me this over the weekend, too. They said, Jim Herman, the last two times he's been in the top 25, he's won. So he's, you never see him on leaderboards, but if you do, he wins. He's going to win it. Yeah. <laughs> There's some household trivia for you. Man, you got to love it. So the top 125 or 130 go on to the FedEx. It starts this week in Boston. They'll be in Chicago next week. Teddy will be all over that. We'll be able to talk to him about the FedEx Cup coming to Chicago next week. And then we're about five weeks away, Ben, from the U.S. Open. Yeah. Just the golf calendar is so major. 
is so weird because of, of COVID, but yeah, that's going on there. All right, good stuff. And yeah. uh, NHL, did you in the NHL? Did you drop the puck? I maybe you're, I may have dropped the puck. I didn't put it in there. Your Tampa Bay they, Lightning. Yeah, they're up three. Well, there's a lot of series that are just kind of blowouts right now. Yeah. Tampa Bay. Uh, obviously, you heard Tim give you the Colorado. Uh, clearly, we're not there to root on the Coyotes, or in your case, uh, the uh, the Calgary Flames. Flames. Yeah. But yeah, they, they, they had full 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 go starting the playoffs this morning. It's so weird waking up and yes. having. Uh, playoffs starting at eleven o'clock or what it is, but well, and you told us on Friday they were there. There was there was hockey on like USA, CNBC. I mean, it was yeah. just bizarre channels. I'm finding hockey as I'm skipping to the guide the other day. I'm like, oh, there's a hockey. Oh, there's a hockey all just over on, the place. Yeah, crazy stuff. The the yeah, they're almost through. They'll be through by the end of the week, probably through their first round and get it down to to uh, eight teams that'll be left uh, in the NHL. So all right, good stuff. Busy weekend. We're back, Sports Highly Monday night. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin, Tim Curran back in the studio commanding the program here tonight. Time for us to reveal our weekend winners. All right, Ben, lead us off. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that this uh, happened necessarily during the weekend. It, it, um, it was leaning that way. It might have happened on Saturday, if I remember the day correctly. But my winner is Brett Veach, who's the general manager of the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, at one point, Kansas City was under – $200 with their salary cap. <laughs> and uh, I wish I was exaggerating, but that is indeed the number that, that they were given. And within an amount of time, you sign Chris Jones, you sign Travis Kelsey, and you sign Patrick Mahomes. I mean, you've locked down three key pieces for your future for the next handful of years. Yeah, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire is having a great camp. They love uh, Gay, the Mississippi State linebacker. And I mean, this guy's just walking on water right now. And, and the ability to, to come through and sign Travis Kelsey for five years, also an assist to for Travis Kelsey. Um, the first thing that he's going to buy with his new contract is a facility for, under, uh, for uh, at-risk uh, teenagers in the Kansas City area uh, to help influence them the right way. So he's probably going to buy himself some luxurious things knowing the way Travis Kelsey likes to live. But, I mean, to give back the way that he has to the city of Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes as well and Chris Jones with his foundation, it's – Huge, huge credit to those guys. But Brett Veach, I mean, you can come over to my house for a cold pop anytime you want. Good for him. He's a young, still a pretty young guy who's a mm-hmm. GM in the NFL. All right, Tim. All right, one of my winners, Alex Smith, for being cleared to play for the Washington football franchise or whatever, <laughs> what have you. Uh, he was getting attacked by his family in the little video they came out, and you're like, no, 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 please go easy on Alex. But yeah, his his leg basically just got Joe Theismann, you know, and that the fact that he can actually stand and walk on that thing, let alone play football, is is pretty extraordinary. Also, another winner for me. How about some midnight hockey, fellas? The St. Louis Blues took down the Vancouver Canucks uh, yesterday night, or I guess it would have been like early <laughs> this morning, and that's one of the uh, the new things besides existential dread and panic one of the new things i've been trying to get into is um is some nhl uh, i normally kind of ignore it uh, just like ben ignored it during the weekend uh, rewind not calling anyone out but uh, so it goes <laughs> we were um, running late yeah so no i understand which normally i i hockey's almost always an afterthought to me but with the new kind of bubble nhl thing That's and then playing later i'm getting into the uh getting a little, little into the nhl and then hoping the blues uh, probably not gonna 
probably not going to repeat this year. It's not looking too great, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. This is this is a great month for sports fans, which August usually isn't. But you can wake up and like there was NBA on by noon today. I think there might have been NHL by noon or even 11 a.m. today. And these are playoffs, and so you got playoffs during the week, during the day, where you can just soak that up. And if you're at work, you can keep checking your scores and see what's happening. Come home at night and watch playoff games like that Celtic Sixers thing tonight. It's really pretty cool for this time of year. Even we went to that drought, we had nothing. We got some things going now. It's kind of fun again. Yeah, right, it my, is. my winner. I'm going Justin Fields, and I, I said kudos to him yeah. earlier, the Ohio State quarterback, for organizing this uh, p- petition that he put out for players to sign to say, we want to play, we want a reevaluation of this thing. I think it's great, particularly with a guy that doesn't need to do this. And I said this earlier, but it bears repeating, he doesn't need to do this. He is going to be one of the top five players drafted in the NFL draft next spring. This this last year is kind of a nothing for him. He, he can't improve his stock much. He could certainly go backwards if he plays, but he's out there fighting for his teammates. I think it's great. I, I, I just salute him, Ben. Didn't know much about the kid. Still don't know a lot about him, but I love this move that he's made and the, the, the leadership that he has shown stepping up in this time. Yeah, very commendable. I think he's earned so much respect um, around not just Columbus, Ohio, or even Athens, Georgia, but uh, Big Ten country and even the, just the entire nation, college football uh, nation. I, I, it's just so cool that he's doing this and being one of the ringleaders of it. I, I give him so much credit for it. And I'm kind of a, a Justin Fields fan, to be honest with you. If, if you haven't watched it, Greg, Justin Fields was one of the quarterbacks highlighted in that Netflix series QB1. So you can learn a little bit more about Justin, his senior year in high school, and kind of follow along his recruitment. It's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it's big. He's got a fan. I, I'm going to be rooting for him. That's That's a really cool thing. Is QB1 better than Space Force? That's yes. the question. Yes, it is. Tight tight race, but it's not By even nose. tight. It's, it is a blowout. It is an absolute blowout. If there is spring football, and you and I are on the thumbs down side on that, I don't think it's going to happen. But if there is, he might play. I think, I think he will. I think he'd be crazy to, but he might play. Not, I haven't been given any indication to suggest otherwise. I mean, he has said he hadn't thought about it earlier, so I, I, my indication would be that he would. Tomorrow night, Bill Landis from The Athletic, who covers Ohio State, will join us. We'll ask him, does he think Justin Fields might play if we have spring football for the Big Ten? That and Top Ten Tuesday coming your way tomorrow night. Thanks, everybody, for being a part of this one. Enjoy the rest of your night.